At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today, Mr. Jeff Tucker. Um, tell us about yourself. <laughs> well, uh, gosh. Give me the long version. Um, <laughs> well, I'm a retired firefighter by trade. That was my first profession. Spent 10 years in operation and then 10 years as an arson bomb investigator. That was my first professional career. And, uh, outside of that, I've just kind of been a serial entrepreneur doing things I enjoy doing. And what are you doing now? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, right now I'm doing a lot of development. I'm, I'm in a little town in central Texas called Brownwood. Uh, took an old, uh, one of the oldest gun stores and hardware stores in Texas and converted it into a microbrewery. Uh, created Texas landmark out of this building. And it was built in 1888. Gun store was opened here in 1876 across the street. I've uh, got a 12 story hotel next door to us that we're developing as well and turning it back into a, a historic preservation. And it was built in 1928. Oh, wow. So that's keeping me up right now. <clears throat> and before we started recording, you said your, uh, your hunting lodge there is kind of a, an homage to. <laughs> to Mr. Teddy Roosevelt, who I believe was president. Yeah, he's, he's back over my shoulder here. Yeah, oh, the number of our brew house. Yeah, <laughs> the number of our brew house is uh, Teddy's Teddy's brew house, and uh, I, I wrote a lot of papers about him when I was in college. I'm iconic figure. Mm-hmm. You talk about being a citizen. I think he was quite a citizen. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, just uh, <clears throat> I mean, the national parks. You know, the sure. uh, a lot of the early conservation of uh public land was thanks to teddy roosevelt um so you said you began as uh, a firefighter you were uh like a a line firefighter and then you became an investigator later how'd that go yeah i I mean i got on the job when i was a kid i was 19 uh like i said i became a firefighter there in fort worth texas uh i spent almost 20 years on that profession 10 years in operation on the line and then uh, got into a arson bomb investigation, went and did my EOD training out of Redstone Arsenal in Alabama, mm. probably one of the premier bomb schools on the planet. Um, and then, uh, we're FBI ATF trained as well for investigation and crime scene. And, you know, we dealt with, I think my first year on the job, we had four live devices a month, uh, for the first year I was there. Um, I got on the job, literally got out of bomb school about a week before Oklahoma, uh, uh, happened. And then, um, uh, I literally retired about two weeks before nine 11. So uh, that a full gamut there. And since then, since you retired, you've been, uh, starting businesses and, and, you know, things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That profession really allowed me to have a lot of free time. Um, we worked a 24 hour shift off 48. So 
I did everything from paint houses to build houses. Uh, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. And so uh, I can't seem to sit still. Um, and then, you know, back in 2001, I retired from the job and started a, a company called GSX Athletics, uh, where we, I think fire trucks are about to roll by. Sorry about the background noise. Oh, no worries. <laughs> they're right down the street. Give me one second here. Oh, we can't hear it. Now they're song. Yeah, but I I, uh, I started a company called GSX Athletics and uh, bought three acres of land out there, built about a 12,000 square foot training facility uh, for kids, adults. Uh, we did tumbling, gymnastics, taekwondo, uh, ballet, youth sports training. About seven months after we opened that, we opened up a CrossFit component for it. And then uh, CrossFit came calling and they asked me to do their gymnastics seminars. And I developed that and did that for about 12 years. That's that's pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've been thinking a lot about gymnastics and uh, I guess jujitsu lately because um, I'm not the biggest NFL fan out there, but I do watch – uh, and we have a sports show here. We we do a lot of gambling as well. It's fun. We go to a lot of games and stuff. <clears throat> but I, what I've noticed is it seems like a lot of these players uh, over this past, like, half generation or so, they don't know how to fall down properly. I, that that seems kind of a <laughs> weird thing to say, but, um, like, Tua Tungavaloa from uh, Miami, every time he gets tackled, he goes stiff as a board and just, uh, you know, head impacts right. the ground almost every time. And now he's had three concussions this year because of that stuff. And it seems like right. getting kids involved in, you know, tumbling and grappling when they're young is a really good idea because, you know, you learn how to fall and get back up, but you learn how to, you learn how to take risk and you learn how to fucking put yourself at a little risk without really getting hurt. You know what I mean? Right. You know, and, and there's, you know, there's a kinesthetic awareness that develops, uh, the more you do body weight training and body movement. Uh, but I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, gymnastics made me a better firefighter. That's what I did as my sport uh, when I was a younger man. And, um, uh, you know, it still serves me today if I can keep my flexibility up. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember Daryl Strawberry. He was a yep. big slugger back in the day. <clears throat> but sometime in the, I think it was the late 80s or maybe the early 90s, he was having some balance and core issues. So he started taking ballet classes and people talked a lot yep. of shit, right? Because like you're a <laughs> six foot four giant athletic baseball player. What are you doing out there? Tiptoeing around. Right. But the point was that, right? It was to get better control of your body. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I've, you know, I've done ballet as a younger man too, and it's an ass whooping. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care what anybody's, once you get to that bar, those, those Russian instructors can wear you out. <laughs> you you find your limitations real quick. Yeah, I bet. Um, <clears throat> so one of the reasons uh, we brought you here to talk today is about leadership. And I think it's uh, there's a big gap in certainly in modern America, not just in America, though. I think it's the entire West that <clears throat> we've gone in two generations from defeating the Nazis to not being able to hear things that upset us without being upset visibly. You know what I mean? And, you sure. know, the, a big part of that, I think, is for, for me, this, this is my perspective. I'm not a parent, but I did, I did take a lot of 17 to 19-year-olds and turn them into men when I was in the Army. Um, sure. When you coddle people, when the child falls down and you rush over to see if they're okay, instead of saying, hey, you're good, get up. You know what I mean? It, it's, right. <clears throat> I know there's a natural instinct, especially when you care for someone to protect them, shield them from pain and discomfort and stuff like that. But it, you don't seem to be doing them any favors, especially early on by doing that stuff. And we've kind of made that a matter of course at this point, that's just kind of the standard is to, you know, make sure everybody's feeling okay instead of making sure they're doing the right thing, I think. Right. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that and kind of how things have digressed for America over the past couple of decades or so. You know, it's funny that the first time I went through rookie school, I was in the early eighties. And then when I went to get my training, I had to go through forward police Academy because we had to have arresting power. So I basically got to be a rookie all over again after 10 years on the job. Wait, so you had and to do, the, uh, what, what's it called? Uh, post a and B or something like police officer uh, safety, whatever the hell it is. 
Yeah, had to do that. I mean, we I went through the whole gamut. I mean, I was wow. there six months. Part and of that training, was that so. was to become an investigator after you had been uh, firefighter for ten years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I was in my. I think I had just turned thirty three, and uh, <coughs> got into uh, the academy to to get that training and said, "Hey, look, I'll." You know, I could have sat in the back of the classroom and I said, look, I'll be one of the guys. I'll, I'll wear the great khakis. I'll go running. We'll do the calisthenics, mm-hmm. et cetera. But what, all that to say this, you know, we, we got to where we were running, you know, about four miles a day, uh, six weeks in. And, and we were doing 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups and getting salty and starting to get some pleats in our, our khakis. And then they put us up against each other uh, to box. We had to learn to, to box and grapple, et cetera. And I was amazed at how many people had never had the snot bubbles knocked out of them. I mean, just to take a punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, here we are, a padded helmet, padded gloves, and they were afraid of it. Um, that was kind of the first time I really felt like I saw it. You know, it's not the, the era that I grew up in. Uh, I was born in the early 60s. And so, you know, we kind of settled everything out on the playground and, you know, shook hands, made up, moved on, or never talked to each other again, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I, yeah, it's, it, it was certainly then I noticed uh, there's a lot of people that were stepping into a profession that they were utterly unprepared for, uh, both mentally and physically. And and to see people step into – we had to fight three rounds with each other, and then we had to fight the last round with a professional boxer. Um, that was pretty telling. And I, I think you're absolutely right. That's it, you know, we're looking at you know raising a generation of, of uh, coddled and – codified people and what is it what is the old saying i probably won't quote it right but hard times make for hard men mm. and soft times make for soft men and i think we're definitely seeing that sure yeah i mean it's uh it's de- that's definitely an issue but i'm not sure that the times have necessarily gotten softer i think we're just treating people softer like it's still there's a there, there are different that they're not we don't have the same challenges that people in the in the 60s 70s and 80s had but there are still challenges like being able to afford a home right now is a challenge. Right. And the grit right. and tenacity to say no to spending seven to 10 bucks a day on coffee and saving that money, which by the way is 25 to three, 2,500 to $3,000 a year. You would save if you stopped doing that shit. Um, right. And, you know, investing in yourself and, and exercising austerity until you get to the place where you want to be. We want everything now. I don't think, the challenges are certainly different and in a kinesthetic sense or a physical sense, they probably are less than we used to have to deal with because of modern technology and stuff, but there's still plenty of challenges. We're just teaching kids now that they should expect results immediately. And that's just not how life works. Yeah. And I, and I think, well, I, I would agree with most of it. I think, I think it's certainly ingrained in our, you know, even me, I mean, I can pick up a phone and I've got a computer, a camera, social media platform all in one. And, you know, I didn't have that as a kid, you know, or, you know, we were out riding bikes and, and, and playing till dark. And, um, you know, what I see today is like, even with my own children, you know, I've tried really hard to push them into a more strenuous life, Mm. uh, you know, learning to ride a horse, learning to work cattle, uh, uh, learning to be out on the ranch, how to survive, how to hunt, how to fish, how to camp. But I, I do think, one of my degrees is history. I've got a master's in history from TCU. And and one of the things that I always kind of push back when I hear that, you know, I, I think there are challenging times most certainly. And I think everything's relative, but just looking back through history, I mean, I don't even feel like, you know, in my youth, it was a really a hard time. You know, here we are coming out of the sixties and, you know, basically what we have the, the, the Vietnam conflict and what was going on there. But, when I look back at the thirties and forties what people like my grandfather and grandmother, went through, they went through hard times. Right. You know, they knew, they knew hunger and, and, you know, they, they used the FDR programs to, to work and have some form of payment and satisfaction of being able to be productive. Um, you know, I think today we tend to have maybe a, a different type of mental and physical stress, mm-hmm. But I don't think it's hard time compared to what we've seen in history. I, I think it's been a long time since this generation has has had to dealt with, you know, what the greater generation had to deal with, sure, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the I, just from boomers forward, I feel like it's been pretty consistent. You know, we've uh, most most of our, <clears throat> I guess, most of our afflictions are kind of self created in in a lot of ways. Right. Whereas it right. used to be ex, it, it used to be existential threats we were dealing with, like Nazis and famine. Now it's like right. 
you know, we're overworking ourselves or we're not doing the things we should be doing or whatever it is. Right. It's a, it's just a, it's different, but you know, the thing I've learned about dealing with people that have post-traumatic stress is whatever got you there doesn't necessarily matter. Right. It, what matters is that you're there and that it's all relative uh, to perspective, right? Like you're going to feel like your situation is the worst because that's the one you're experiencing. So, right. you know, we have to treat people in that way. But <clears throat> even then, it doesn't pay to treat anybody like they're uh, uh, a child. Even a child, it doesn't pay to treat them like a child. Like if you're trying to create right. a, a, a good person, a good human being, who is a functional adult, not just for themselves, but for their family and their community, then you have to start treating that person as early as possible, right? You have to start priming them to be a good human being, be an adult, make tough decisions, like put themselves right. at risk sometimes for stuff that matters. And, you know, <clears throat> we're, we, we seem to be raising kids without resiliency. I think my generation, the, the older, the Gen X and older millennial generation, um, <clears throat> we were latchkey kids a lot. And I think we got mm -hmm. some of it just because we had to do for ourselves and our parents were always gone. Right. right. Uh, like we were, we were alone. We had to walk to school and stuff. We were alone a lot, uh, for, during that period. And now, you know, safetyism and you want to take your kids to school or whatever, or maybe it's just a bigger community and you have to drive them now, or maybe it's that, you know, technology is taking the place of boredom where, mm. you know, when I was a kid, we were bored. So we went outside and now you don't have to do that anymore. And it, it isn't yeah. that one thing is necessarily better than the other. Although I do think going outside is quite a bit better physiologically speaking, but um, <laughs> it's, it's that, that natural, the natural forces that require us to stay sharp are kind of going mm -hmm. away because of technology. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. It's incumbent upon people, parents especially, but even in your own life, to make sure you're recreating some of those circumstances to make sure you're capable. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And how do you do that, right? I mean, you've raised children, but it was your kids are probably what in their 30s and 40s. No, uh, I, I started late in life. Uh, I, my youngest is just turned 19 yesterday. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, but my daughters are 27 and <clears throat> and just now 21. But yeah. So you they've they've yeah, they've come up in a time of technology then. So how have you handled that? I mean, oh, you're, absolutely. You're obviously a guy that does uh, does things the old way if you want to if you want to say it that way. So how how have you handled that? I think you have to create a balance. I mean, you know, they weren't allowed to have a cell phone till a certain age and they weren't allowed to be on social media till a certain age. And even that was heavily monitored. Mm. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, even coaching uh, uh, at TCU and I was like, I didn't know anything about Facebook. And all of a sudden somebody said, well, hey, so-and-so made a post. I mean, I looked at them like they had a third head. Like, what the hell are you talking about? They made a post. And I, <laughs> shortly after Facebook came out, you know, and then I got on there and, and, and I even noticed as an adult, like how consuming that could be. Uh, and this was in its earlier stages. But, yeah, I think just monitoring that, but keeping them focused and active on on things that mattered, uh, you know, things that would pay off later for them. And a lot of that was rooted in activity and movement and, you know, things they wanted to do, whether it be if they want to play soccer or the girls were in ballet or, or gymnastics uh you know, they kind of pick their, their, their poison, but our, our goal was to be as active in a multitude of things that they wanted to be at and not over inundated either. Um, you know, one really loved to play the guitar. The other loved to play the violin, but there was no pressure to be, you know, uh, first chair, <laughs> you know, it was about just being well-rounded and trying to be involved in, in, you know, what brought them joy. Yeah. And this is kind of an age old thing between parents and kids. It's like kids are reluctant to do stuff or they have ideas and you're like, well, I don't know if I'll like that. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You don't know if you'll like it. So go do it. If you don't like it, that's fine. Yeah. This is not new. It's not new to this generation. It's not new to humanity. I mean, it's been going on forever. So, you know, finding ways to, uh, you know, keep the kids engaged and stuff like that is, is super important. Um, and we were never in 
select sports either. I mean, I didn't do a select sport approach to things where, you know, we were going to be that family that was, okay, we're coaching baseball and football year round and you will do, you know, privatized teams outside of the YMCA, for example. I mean, we didn't go that route. You know, if uh, a couple of them got into pole vaulting, we really loved it. But, you know, I could tell no matter how much they put into it based off body type and size, that's a sports specific Mm. activity. So there was going to be limitations, you know, and try to prep them for that. Like, hey, you know, kudos for you for trying to reach 13 feet, but it's probably not going to happen at your age and size. Um, but, you know, just being realistic with them about that, too, and not putting on their heads full of full of fluff. I, I can't tell you how many parents would bring kids to me. I mean, we had over 500 clients at the gym, all of them kids, and, you know, a lot of mothers thinking – you know, you got the next Mary Lou Retton on your hands. It's just like, nah, that's not really quite how this works. And and the type of commitment that you've got to do for that is an entirely different game. Yeah, I think uh, if I I think I have this number right. I think two percent of the people who play college football play in the NFL or something like that. Right. Which something is like, that, yeah. like that's the highest uh, of all of the sports that you play in college. That one is the one that's probably the most. I, that's probably the one that creates the most professional athletes and it's still only 2% and that's still at the highest yeah. level at the collegiate level. Right. So, sure, sure. man, I mean, you know, there are, there are a lot of parents out there that think their kids are going to be superstars, you know, and I think it kind of defeats like playing youth sports, even individual sports isn't necessarily about, um, it, it well, it's not, not even, not necessarily, it's not about trying to produce, uh, professional athletes. That's, that's not what that is. It's about teaching lessons. Right. And, uh, you know, now we don't teach those lessons, I guess, in a lot of ways because everybody wins and, you know, um, I, I, am not, I just don't see what the point is. Like if I was a kid these days, uh, and I guess it's kind of hard to say because I would have been raised in that environment. But if I was a kid these days and everybody got the same trophy, no matter what happened, I wouldn't fucking play. That's stupid. Yeah. 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 But I th- and I think parents, you know, for right or wrong, guide a lot of those decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, with my own kids, it's just like, what's your interest? What do you want to do? And it, yeah. the one thing I've noticed, too, though, as being a coach is watching the burnout happen so much younger. Uh, or she's not younger, but so much quicker. Mm-hmm. In, in younger athletes versus gosh when i was in high school a lot of the athletes that were great at high school sports you know they weren't sitting there necessarily looking at college and a career beyond that they just really enjoyed the fact that they got to play for their team right and against the rivalry and then you would see a few of the phenoms step up and and become something really special and go on to college maybe uh, uh once in a blue moon you know somebody goes to to, to the pros and uh, even I think now today, what the average for the NFL is about three years. That's if you're healthy. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a mindset that's changed with parents um, uh, when it comes to to youth sport training and, 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 and what is sport. You know, like you said earlier, you said a mouthful. It, it really should be about the activity, you know, be becoming a well-rounded person, not necessarily, oh, I'm going to make my living off of this later in a professional <clears throat> Yeah, and it's. I think that's a good uh, way to approach pretty much anything you do. To be honest, like, yeah, you know, yeah, you can't. Something I I really enjoy telling people a lot is that in life you can't control the outcome of things most of the time, but you can control your attitude and your effort. And you know, right. That's what uh, I don't know if you've read it before, but the Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. That's kind of what it's about, right? It's about if, right. You, if you do the right thing on a long enough time frame, you're going to be successful. That's how it works. And, and it's true too. But, you know, yeah. we get uh, we get very impatient these days. And I don't know what that is. Is the impatience part of keeping up with the Joneses? Is it that we're more concerned about the uh, finality of life? Or or I don't know what it is. There's so much pressure to, to succeed at a certain age. And the the odd thing is about it, is that it's had the reverse effect because people are getting yeah. jobs later. They're getting married and having kids later and all this stuff. Like it's had complete, completely opposite the effect that it was intended to have. This episode of Citizen is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom 
delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-operated and supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roast, rounds, and delivery schedule anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. The best value you're going to get from Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee club. As again, you can choose the roast, whether you're like light, dark, or medium. You can choose the texture. You can choose whether you want uh, ground coffee, whether you want to grind it yourself and get whole bean, or if you use a Keurig and you want the coffee rounds and the delivery schedule with a wide uh, array of options for that. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. So go to blackriflecoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club, use the code CITIZEN, and get 20% off your first order. This episode of Citizen is also brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Right now, Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. If you get the uh, 40% off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months, that's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for slash drinker bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best, the mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there, 30% off everything. Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. Yeah, it seems like it's a lot of the all of the above when you get to answer that question. Um, you know, I, that's a lot to unpack as to, you know, what are what are the root causes of it? It's, it's one of the things that I follow a great deal is, uh, well, Joseph Campbell and, and Dr. Dr. Peterson. I follow him quite a bit and read a lot of his stuff. But, you know, I think I think there's been such um, and it's rooted into our fabric of instant gratification, uh, instant acceptance, um, uh, instant expectation of success. Uh, that certainly is a mantra that, that seems to occur regularly today. And, and the, the misunderstanding of that it takes, you know, it's really a marathon to get to where you need to be. It's not a sprint. Um, and that goes for any business that I've ever started. You know, even the place I'm sitting in right now, you know, we opened up this brew house. We did a Texas historic renovation on it. We're real proud of it. But three months after we opened, the world shut down with the pandemic. You know, OK, well, what now? You know, how do we survive this? And, you know, crap, we started making hand sanitizer because there was a shortage of hand sanitizer. Like that kept us afloat for a year um, until we could get back to regular business. You know, but I I saw a lot of people that just didn't have that attitude. They just quit, or they stopped, or or they went to the government tit or teat and 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 depended on that. It, it, it's you know when we do talk about hard times too. I, I I really watched my children very closely, as did many parents. You know during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, you know how we were handling school at that time and the 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 pressures that were put on on families and kids just because of governmental decisions made but you know as a parent i get to have a say in that i get to have a say about how they react to it a lot of that had to do with how we led them through the pandemic Mm -hmm. versus how the government led us through the pandemic sure yeah Um, but i yeah there's a lot to what you what you stated i mean man i wish i had all the answers as to why uh you can certainly see a lot of the results of of action um but I think, too, that, you know, it, it gives me hope when I see I got a lot of young hires here in our businesses locally. And, you know, we're in a small town. Population here is about 19,000. Uh, where we were living out at the ranch, population of that town was about 300. Um, you know, and what I keep seeing that gives me hope is there's a lot of good work ethic still being pushed into kids. A lot of uh, real realistic expectations of of how to live your life and how to be a good person. And, you know, Lord knows I fail at it constantly, but I try to keep pushing forward to to be the right guy. Um, But, you know, I, we hire, I've got a kid that's worked for me now going on four years and he's about to graduate college and wants to go off into law enforcement. And, and those kind of things give me hope, Mm. you know, Um, (laughs) when you ask somebody to go clean the restroom, they go grab the toilet brush and go do it. That gives me hope. And, 
you know, when I tell my son, Hey, you know, start your day by making your bed, you know, and, you know, sit down and write down your affirmations of what you're going to do this week and see him do it. That gives me hope. So yeah. I, I think there's a lot of good out there still. We, we get so inundated with this media onslaught of just negativity. It's pretty easy to get into a downward spiral about how shitty things are. Yeah, for sure. I think things are probably better than we maybe realize. But I mean, honestly, for people like us, it's always better because if all this goes yeah. away, I'll just go back to doing what I was doing before. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Or something new. Yeah. yeah. I'm with it. But it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because anytime, uh, you know, I have conversations about um, how fucked things are or how like the, the <laughs> new generation of people and whatever, usually people will do what you just did, which is uh, recount the entirety of the problem, but then point to specific examples of how it's also not true for individuals. Right. And yeah. uh, it seems to me like the less in society, <clears throat> the less the individual is promoted and the more the group, whatever the group happens to be, if it's, you know, this demographic or that or all of society or our community or whatever, the more the group is promoted, we create blockages, right? It's like having too many cars yeah. on a single highway. Everybody's trying to fit into the same mold, do the same thing. Everybody wants to get a tech job. Everybody wants to do this or that. And then we create blockages. Uh, and then, you know, you see independent individual peoples become more and more successful in those environments because they're not, uh, you know, blocked out are boxed out by all these all this traffic you know and it's right. i mean that's <clears throat> it makes sense you know it, it's it's and you th this is kind of the point of this show it is you can either accept the responsibilities required of you to secure your rights and you will be a citizen of this country or you can allow somebody else to secure them for you and you will be a subject under rule and the latter for yeah. me is is completely unacceptable and if you're an individual, yeah. especially when it comes to building your own life, then instead of having to travel on the highway that everybody else is and being stuck in traffic, you can make your own fucking road. You know what I mean? And I yeah, personally I, have it, done that and been very successful at it. And I don't, I don't think, look, it's stressful and it's difficult and you have to put in a lot of effort and there's risk involved. But it wasn't like, uh, you know, I'm not Atlas. I'm not carrying the world on my shoulders. This is just a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just yeah. like anything else. <laughs> It perspective matters, you know, and, and you know, like I, cause I'll mention my son here a lot, but I say the same thing to my daughters. There's nothing wrong with being independent. Mm. You know, uh, you don't have to follow the herd and that could even be, you know, if you're getting, uh, tapped out to be in a sorority or fraternity going into college, you know, I've just always told them there's nothing wrong with being a GDI, you know, mm. be a goddamn independent. Mm. Um, you want to go join that group. Okay, fine. But still remember you have, an independent quality to yourself and, and it's really, you know, always be alert, always be looking, you know, don't have your head down, have your head up. And, and that's really been my approach and mantra to, to my kids. And I think it's served them well. It, you know, I, I've got a, my, my middle child right now. Uh, she, uh, you know, and I've told her you don't even have to go to college. You know, you, you really don't. I think it's a great, it can be a great experience and a great rounding out, but that degree matters as to what you're going to spend your time in. But, you know, I've got a daughter that came to me after two years in college said, Hey, I've been offered a year and a half internship at a, a, a camp that they've been a part of since they were in their uh, early years, like six, seven years old. She's now doing an outdoor education component. She's an education major and she wanted to take a year off because she knew later she wouldn't be able to do this. Well, tear it up, go do it. I mean, they're paying her way through. You know, and, and she's getting experiences and getting to meet people from other countries that come in throughout the year. Um, and that makes it for a well-rounded person. And then after that, if you want to go back and finish or finish online, you know, you, being an educator is one of those things. You just got to check the boxes and get the work done. But it, it allows you to do so many other things. And I think that's what they're realizing because my my career path is a pretty strange one. I, I you know, I, I got on the job early, put in 20 years, got out. And then I really started my career, I mm -hmm. feel like. You know, and, and it's been a bunch of independent uh, uh, developments, whether it be, you know, buying real estate and selling it or trying to start a business. I've had businesses fail. I've had them, you know, not make it. And, okay, well, how do I dig out of that? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, what did I learn from it? So I don't repeat the mistake or maybe it wasn't even a mistake. It was just the economy, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they look, it, it, 
I think most of my kids thought I was in the mafia for many years, you know, because I'd be gone on the weekends and come home. And and that's back when I was doing the seminars. You know, I started off doing one seminar a month. That turned into we were doing 10 seminars a month by the time that I finally retired from it with a staff of 40 coaches globally. And I could be in uh, Australia for three weeks and then back or in Egypt for a weekend and then back and staff just all over. So, you know, they didn't really quite understand my my job, but I told them, I said, Hey, this is going to benefit our family. It's going to benefit you. And we get to help people. And, uh, plus it was my passion. I love doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I think through action, they've seen what, what is possible versus like, Oh, I've got to go work for somebody so that I'm creating passive income for them. You know, um, you know, there's a lot of jobs out there. You get fulfillment from doing that. Don't get me wrong. I just tend to be a bit more independent in my thinking on what is a career? What is business? What is, you know, how do I want to recreate that, that, that account receivable and do I enjoy it? And, and frankly, if I don't enjoy it, I really don't have a hard time walking away from it. Yeah. That's a good uh, and I think that's a hard lesson for a lot of people, you know, <laughs> learning how to like I, I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's really funny. A lot of the guys that I even worked with are just now kind of retiring. And I've met a few of them from time to time and, you know, we're all about the same age, but they look like they've worn out three bodies. And, you know, some of them have been retired a couple of years and they fall over dead of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So I, I look at that quality of life and I go, man, you, you really paid a price just to hang on to that, that position for 33 years, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's kind of one other thing I tell my kids too. just remember everything that you do has a price. Uh, your time, you know, the exchange of your time for what you're doing can be a price. So make sure it's something you really want to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, it seems <laughs> we we've uh, the first couple of years we were doing this. It was uh, whether we're dealing with uh, talking to our friends or going to the bank. They're like, what do you do? What's what's your company? Like, yeah. Well, we have podcasts. Right. And like, yeah. what do you mean you? What what the fuck is a podcast? I'm like, <laughs> and I give them like a brief explanation, but then uh, you know. After a while, I was just like, yeah, it's just a media company. Here's our bank information. I don't want to have this conversation right. again. You can see how profitable this is. Um, right. Now, to the point of the individual stuff, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about it. It's one that we deal with in the military a lot um, where people have this idea that it's just a brain, bunch of brainwashed followers and stuff like that. And, you know, when you build teams, people think you're building – a leader and then followers, but that's not how that works. Cause if you do it that way, it's going to fail. The truth right. is you're building only leaders, right? You, you, you only spend your time on quality people who you know can lead because they may have to. And right. uh, everyone has to know what it means to lead. They have to have the skills to do that. Now it's at different levels. Not, not everybody's going to be the president of a company. Not everybody's going to be a politician, which is that's not a leader, really. That's more of just a piece of shit. But um, <laughs> uh, but not not everybody's going to find themselves in, a, in an actual defined leadership position at some point in their life other than maybe their family. But mm. you do have to know how to lead in general, whether you're in a workplace or anywhere else, because people <clears throat> psychology is contagious. You've built multiple teams at this point in, in your entrepreneurial career. Uh, you know how that goes. The the yeah. maintaining morale, making sure people like the best unit you could ever create are a bunch of people who know they can depend on each other, even if they don't know specifically what they're going to be doing. You can teach them that, but if they all know sure. that they can depend on each other, then you can do pretty much anything with a team like that. I I agree, and I think I think frankly that's where people like you and I are in a minority, and and I've. To me, that's been the struggle my whole life is because like on, on the fire department, it literally was that what you just what you just analogized there. We we were a team. We were all dependent. We could be self-dependent, but we could also work as a unit and our lives depended on each other. Other people's lives depended on our actions. And and even more so, I found that when I got into the law enforcement side of things and, you know, taking apart taking apart bombs for a living or our uh, you know, being an investigator and, and wearing a different hat than I had when I got on the job. Um, and, and it, it, it was really neat too, as I got older to see younger guys come up 
behind me and, and then be a part of it and see them grow, right? Um, especially when they would rise to the occasion. And, and all that does is just build, uh, you know, great confidence and ability, uh, like you said, to be a leader. And there's lots of ways to lead and, and, you know, obviously lots of definitions of what leadership is. But, you know, for me, it's about accountability. You know, I, I mean, I've had officers that, you know, we didn't have a lot of confidence in, but we didn't cast them to the curb. Mm. You know, we worked with them and worked under <clears> their <throat> command and, and, and we made them look damn good doing our job really well. Um, you know, if you can put the ego aside, realize what the, the mission statement is and the, you know, the goal is and plans of action to, to that goal. Um, the thing that I found amazing is when I got out of, out of the profession and into the real world, I guess, and, and was basically a citizen and not a civil servant that, that took about a seven year transition for me. Uh, I just wasn't used to dealing with people who didn't have that level of commitment, uh, to a goal, you know, uh, I, I remember I, I became an athletic advisor. I, I, when I retired, I went back to TCU and I was getting my graduate studies going there for history. And I was just shocked at how adults could act so badly. Oh, you know, <laughs> and these are educators. <laughs> it is, it is, uh, it is wild. So I actually <clears throat> did a story on this yesterday. Uh, two fifths that, which is to say 40% of millennials say their parents still pick up one or more of their monthly bills. 40%. Wow. Like wow. Uh, 17% uh, their parents are covering all or part of their mortgage. Another 24% wow. uh, they're paying uh, some or all of their rent. And millennials, wow. by the way, this is not, it's not Gen Z. It's 26 to 41 years old. Wow. So that's, that's sad. like, th this is what I meant before when I said the things that we've been trying to do <clears throat> to help our kids have made them less prepared for life. Yeah. We we've, we've kept the training wheels on the tricycle for too long. Right. That's, that's what we've done here. And, uh, you know, yeah. the other part of what you said about leadership and stuff or, or leaders rather <clears throat> the best leaders I've had, aren't necessarily one of them was a West Point graduate, but not all of them are like service Academy guys who are groomed to lead and then given a billet and put in charge of people. The best leaders, most of the best leaders I've ever had are guys who are accountable, as you said, uh, to others, yeah. but also to themselves. Like they hold themselves to a higher standard. You talked about your son <clears throat> and, um, I refuse to make my bed. I'm not going to do it. I just think it's uh, completely <laughs> pointless, but I do understand the point of it because I have my routine in the morning that I do every single day as well. And it's what gets me ready for the day. That's the point. And right. the writing right. down the affirmation stuff like, Hey, these are the things that I'm going to do this week. It's you're challenging right. yourself. You're giving yourself no option to fail. That's the point there. Yeah. And yeah. the guys that I'm talking about, they're 22 to 25 years old, uh, who in the real world, they would be a uh, uh, middling or underling employee somewhere, but instead they're in charge of a dozen or more dudes and you're in combat. Right. And these are some of the right. best young leaders. I mean, think about the American revolution. We're talking about guys who are 19 to 26 years old for the most part, except for a couple of dudes. Adams was a little bit older. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Benjamin Franklin was older and Washington was older, but Lafayette was 24 years old. You know what I mean? Like these guys right. were young. Right. So yeah. With a short lifespan too, as far as, life expectancy back then sure. you know i think that matters that you know i i, I think mortality rates also have an effect mm. you know we, a lot of us think we're going to live a long time and and you know that's been kind of proven out obviously over time but man think about it back then the revolution what they were dealing with as far as just life expectancy without battle mm. uh, disease etc smallpox uh, and cholera and your teeth uh, right yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you made it to old age, you, you really accomplished something mm -hmm. like Jefferson and Adams did, you know, but no, I, I'm completely with you there. And, and I, I, my biggest thing too, is like my, even with my own children, it's like, nothing's really handed to you. You've got to earn it. You've got to work for it. And it doesn't mean that I don't help my children. I do. Um, but you know, even if we're helping them, there's an expectation that there's a price for that. Meaning for example, uh, when my kids went to college, I said, look, your job now, because they would work part time. Mm -hmm. uh, they would either work part time for us or other people. 
And I said, okay, now that you're in college, your job is to make grades. If your expectation is to go be a ad PR person, okay, get it, go do it. But my expectation is, is that that's your goal, focus on it, get done quickly, get out, start your life. But your job is to make grades. Your job is not to, uh, to work part-time and try to go through college. So I said, I'll make a deal with you. I'll take care of college for you, but you better make grades. And if you don't, then you're going to be paying me for the college. Um, so, you know, I've always tried to instill in them that there's a, a level of expectation that you've got to earn it. Uh, and if they got into an activity, it was the same thing. Nothing's going to be given to you. You've got to earn your position on that team, on that sport. And if you don't, well, then we're going to assess why. And, and, and normally it would always fell back to them, you know, their, their lack of commitment to it. Um, so, you know, we'd sit down and have the talk and, expectations would rise and and they normally would meet that it's it's a useful exercise to get the kid or whether it's even an adult subordinate who you're who you're managing or an adult child maybe i guess if you're giving them advice but have them say out loud exactly what it is they want to accomplish then you can that that is your finish line okay now let's work backwards and figure out how we can achieve these goals people like i i didn't do well in high school because uh my home life was kind of tumultuous and it was boring as shit to be honest but through college, through, let's see, 10 years of college, I guess, uh, I, I think my cumulative GPA was 397 because it was engaging. But I real, it wasn't just – like I didn't get smarter all of a sudden. What I did learn was that while I don't care – like the grades aren't a function of how smart you are, which is what I used to think, right? right? I'm like I'm smart enough to do this. I don't give a fuck about this. That's not what it is. It is about showing someone that you're capable of achieving excellence – right on your own mm-hmm. that that's what it does when somebody looks at your college transcripts and see that you have 2.5 gpa the whole time they're like this guy's gonna fucking phone it in most of the time yeah not i don't <laughs> like I, I can see that he's smart i'm having a conversation where he's a smart guy but he's not gonna work hard that's not what hard work right. 2.5 is not what hard work looks like right right well and and you know i kind of had the same experience I, I i don't know how many times i almost dropped out of high school just i'll go get a ged and mm-hmm. move on I never had an expectation to go to college. I didn't start college. I was age 29 and, and really only kind of did that because I started to become bored and they gave firemen 50% off to go to the local college that was there, which was TCU. And, and, but I fell in love with it and, and fell in love with academia and study. And, and, and yeah, I, I had a whole different experience as far as what it meant to learn and study and research. And, and, um, you know, at one point thought about being a history professor, uh, my problem was I just couldn't deal with the damn adults in the history department. I couldn't believe how childish they were. Mm. <laughs> you know? And it's okay. Well, I'll just, I'll just enjoy history and not have to worry about making it a profession. Yeah. You know, I hear a lot yeah. of, uh, I hear a lot of veterans that go, cause a lot of guys get out, uh, when they're in their late twenties or early thirties, some of them get out in their mid twenties, which is whatever, but guys that, that do 10 years or more or get out then, and then they go back to college with a bunch of, you know, 18 to 22 year olds. <laughs> I hear yeah. them bitch and moan a lot about what's going on there. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, you're right. It is fucking stupid, but you are the person that knows better. So it's your responsibility to lead these people. Like it, right. if your if your response to that is uh, just to to bitch about it and make fun of them, then you're not a leader. We need leaders in this you country. Know, it, you brought that brings something to mind. I remember my first philosophy class. It was ethics of philosophy and. It was just basically talking about ethical situations. And I remember we went into this probably the third day of class. Guy walks in, the professor walks in, he says, okay, I've got a, a he, his words exactly. He goes, I got a mongoloid baby. I'm the father of the baby. My wife just gave birth to it. I'm also a doctor. And when I see that the baby is a mongoloid child, I just take it and throw it to the ground and kill it. Mm-hmm. And that began the conversation. And as you know, there was a whole gamut of reaction in the room. And most of the minds were young, mm. freshmen, sophomore, uh, barely out of high school into college. And, 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 and it was an interesting conversation and to see their perspective. And I never said a word. I just sat in the back of class and really kind of took it all in and listened uh, because there was, there was a lot of weight about, well, you know, he probably did the child a service. You know, it was going to have a hard life, short life expectancy et cetera, et cetera. And then finally the professor just kind of looked at me and said, well, Mr. Tucker, you're not saying anything. And I said, well, I've been kind of listening, but I'm just curious why nobody's called the cops yet because we've just had a murder, <laughs> you know, and then that changed the whole dynamic mm-hmm. of the conversation. But, but that was, 
you know, it, it didn't enter any of these kids' minds at that time that, hey, a crime has been committed here, mm. regardless of how we want to feel about it, you know, <laughs> uh, or justify or not justify the action. Um, you know, I just, it, that was kind of my whole experience from class to class. Uh, and, and I got to be really good friends with a lot of those professors mm. that I kind of <clears throat> naysayed earlier, but I, I, I had a different experience because frankly, I was 30 years old and back in college yeah. and, you know, but I, I sure got a hell of a lot out of it. Uh, even, even from, you know, listening and seeing other younger, uh, uh, students in me, you know, give their part to it. But, but yeah, that, that kind of brought on a while now that popped out of my head, but it, man, it certainly was a different world. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a different perspective back then. Um, I think I started to lose hope back then <laughs> a little bit, you know, when I saw some of the reactions of, oh, yeah. of, of people going to college, but anyway, so yeah, well, I digress. people, uh, especially, well, it used to be mostly younger people, but now I guess it's not just that, but people react emotionally to things a lot um yeah you know they react emotionally and narrowly through their the prism of their own experience most of the time yeah and you know right. it is it is easy to write people like that off it's a, it's understandable that you would write somebody like that off and just roll your eyes like i'm not listening to this shit but your job <laughs> as a leader is not to write people off it is to lead right so in the same way that you learn how to provide cpr or fireman carry somebody or uh, uh, teach you know your kid how to stay in the lane when he's driving or whatever. Like this is your job is to fucking figure out a way I, to uh, 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 make relationships with these people and pull them out of this stupid bullshit. Like, hey, I yeah. understand why you're doing this, but here's the better path and here's why it's the better path. What do you think about that? And have that conversation because this is the this is uh to to me the defining problem for every crumbling society it's that the the people refuse to they're, they're and maybe, maybe it's structurally maybe it happens like this on purpose where the aristocratic class pits everybody against each other so they stay fighting and don't realize what's going on but it doesn't matter why it happens it happens <clears throat> the true seat of power in any civilization is whatever the people say it is if they think it's the pope then it's the Pope. If they think it's the president, then it's the president. If they think it's something else, it's something else. If they think it's nothing, then it's chaos, right? So right. this has taken many forms over the years, as you know as an historian. Uh, uh, but it's almost always a tenuous appeal to some sort of authority. Very rarely in society has it been that the ruling class actually had the ability to physically rule the mob, right? Because the mob is always so much larger. So we right. put our faith in these institutions, and that's fine, but we don't put our effort into them. Uh, as Plato said, yeah. if you uh, don't take part in your own governance, you're doomed to be ruled by fools, right? And sure. th this, is, this is where we find ourselves now. Uh, you know, <clears throat> there, it, it's the, the mob or whomever, the people, will always outnumber whatever ruling class exists, whether it's a dictator or feudalist governors the Congress in the United States. Um, and the, there's no actual tangible power there. It's only, it's the power that we allow. And I tell people yeah, this. Yeah. I tell people this because they feel hopeless. Like this is, this problem has grown too large for us to fix. It's like, no, it hasn't. There's 500 people in Congress, right? 535 people. So we, well, an extreme analogy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step no, on there, but I mean, extreme analogy to that is look at Tiananmen Square. Mm. A lot of people don't really understand what happened in Tiananmen Square and how long that built up. But if you don't think China's leaders aren't, aren't concerned about their populace eventually pushing back against them, they're always worried about it. It is always in their daily thinking of how to be in control of their populace. And, and I, you know, I've, I've recently read a, a book about Tiananmen Square and then watched, uh, a, a frontline documentary about it just to kind of see if they gelled together. And there were things in there that I just didn't even realize had happened. And, you know, that, that even at some point uh, the students had weapons mm. there uh, and are, are when the army was actually brought in for the first time that they just said, we're not going to fight against our mm. people. Uh, you know, the second wave they brought in, they brought them in from the peasant areas of the country 
and then indoctrinated them into what was happening before they were brought to the situation. So there'd be no question that they would fight against those that supposedly were doing the uprising and trying to take over the government, according to what they were told, right? But that perception is absolutely a reality. Uh, and, and you're spot on. I mean, we give far too much uh, of our own freedoms and power and, and you know, all for the sake of, <laughs> you know, a politician who's probably not doing our bidding anyway. Yeah, certainly not. Uh, I hate to blanket all of them that way. I don't think, you know, I think there are some good people in there that are trying to do the good good work. But, yeah, I, I mean, like right now, Putin has got to be, he's got to be scared. Oh, yeah. I would imagine no matter what he puts out front, he's got to be worried, right? Yeah, he's not. He's uh, made a bad move. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, look, Russia's never been particularly good at fighting wars. Um, they're good. Right. At, they're good at intelligence, but not war uh, so much. But yeah, yeah, it's to your point. It's like any 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 authority is like Tinkerbell, right? It's only it only <laughs> exists if you believe it exists. If enough people believe right. it exists, and the problem is that we like you know a lot of folks just refuse for whatever reason, whether it's out of fear or they don't want to lose their mortgages, they don't want to lose their conven- the convenience yeah. of their daily life, whatever it is. But they refuse to take part in this stuff, and it's like, if you're out, if you're a conservative person out there talking about small government, there is only one way that will achieve that, only one way, and that is to find problems that the federal government or state government is solving, and you go solve them yourself, right? Because yeah. as long as people are on that tip, then you're not going to have a confluence of power to fight back against these people. It just won't happen. I agree. I just, that's, that seems like, I agree with that seems like the most obvious thing in the world, doesn't it? Like if, if like, think it about, think, it, it, think about it this way. If you're, um, <laughs> if you are a Lieutenant at your station and one of your guys is being an asshole and some other Lieutenant or a captain has to come over and correct that dude, that should piss you off. Not at the captain or lieutenant, but at your guy. Like, no, you should have been doing right. the right thing in the fucking first place. But the only reason that right. other asshole was able to come in and intervene in your situation is because we allowed it to happen. We let our shit get outside of our own breach. I, I think it's funny, too, how, well, right now, if we take our, our, cover, our, our, our current government state, um, how people are so afraid to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and and afraid to take on large topics uh, for the sake of losing that comfort, you know, a, a, whether it be a, uh, like you said, a job or a, a style of living or a level of living, you know, there's just so much to risk, right? Uh, in, in so many people's minds. And, and, and to a point, I get that, but, you know, at, at what point are you willing to push back and say, hey, uh, you know, look at future generations and what they're going to have to deal with just because of something like debt, right? The debt that we've incurred. Uh, I mean, we can get real into the weeds on this stuff, but, you know, just just think of what term limits could do, mm. you know, what, what what positive effect that could have if done correctly. You know, maybe. Maybe they serve six years and they're out. I don't know. I don't know the full answer to it, but I do think career politicians have have certainly found a way to take care of themselves over, uh, you know, it, it's not an e pluribus unum approach. And, and, and so they've taken care of themselves and lined them pockets. That's an issue for me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when really it's supposed to be about service. I, I'm a real service oriented guy. That's how I was raised. My dad was a firefighter. He taught me to be a civil servant. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you give so much of yourself at the expense of your liberty or, or you give so much of yourself at the expense of, of government for government's sake. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard for people, I think, to become comfortable knowing they might have to get real uncomfortable before it gets better. Uh, the media these days just really surprises me how we can create such a, a tempest in a teapot over a nothing issue Um or go the opposite direction and take something like our border right now, which is in chaos, and basically bald-faced lie about it not being in chaos. It's astonishing to me. But you got to get uncomfortable to fight that border war. You got to get uncomfortable to do. I, I still get pissed off every time I think about the. Of course, I'm a horseman and I'm a cowboy, and you know I know those border agents were using that horse as a tool. They weren't whipping anybody. I mean, come on. And and 
it blows me away the narrative that came from that all the way from our president down to Mayorkas and 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 so on. Then you see later the email chain that comes out where everybody's enraged that they're saying that they're whipping people coming across the border. Uh, that border could be so easily controlled. They just need to put the steps in it to do it. But it's so politically charged now. We've got an administration who's who's willing to uh, allow a lot of people to suffer uh, for the sake of politics. It's pretty sad. But but the only way to find that is to, I think, stand up and uh, you know get uncomfortable and worry about risking and and state pieces that matter. Uh, because it's pretty common to me. It's pretty common logic to fix that situation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm not opposed to people coming into this country, but I'm damn sure opposed to seeing 200 plus thousand come across the border each month. And those are just the ones that we know about. I mean, that has an impact on our society on multiple levels. Um, but I'm sorry, I probably went down a rabbit hole there. No, it's a that's a good uh, a good example that's pretty indicative of the overall problem. You know. Um, but you've got leaders in there that are not allowing. I mean, I I, I know this just because I, I talk to a lot of the guys that will leave Camp Bowie and go down to the border and come back. Mm. And, you know, they're down there trying to do their job or DPS agents who are local have been called down there. And 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 really, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, even on our state local side here in Texas. You know, it, it there could be larger actions taken, but for political sake, they're not taking them because. You know, they're also trying to still work with federal government and incentives that come from them. But, man, there are people who are, you talk about leadership. There are people who are trying to step up and lead and they're being they're being snuffed out. You know, they're they're being quieted. Um, I think it's going to reach a boiling point, though, where it may be we're already there. But I think it's going to finally reach a boiling point where action is going to have to be taken. There's just there's too much consequence happening right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, after. um in January of next year, after three years of, of the Biden administration, we're looking at six to six and a half million people who have crossed the border and will never leave. Right. right? Yeah. And that's a lot right. of people. I mean, that's like 5% yeah. of the population basically has just leaked over. But yeah, it's a good point about even the state and local governments. Um, the same thing that happens with individuals where they don't want to sacrifice the convenience of life or they don't want to take any risks so they accept the bullshit um, the Texas state government here has, because they don't want to leave, they don't want to lose other federal programs, right? right. They have right. allowed our border to be overrun. That is weak, cowardice right. bullshit to me. Like you, yep. you, right is right. That's the end of the fucking story. There's no negotiating, uh, as far as that goes for me. And if the federal government is trying to leverage other stuff over your head, call their bluff. Like if yep. you, if, if we had a strong leader, in office, if our governor was strong and our and our attorney general was strong, they would tell the federal government to go fuck themselves. Like, hey, if you think you're yeah. going to withhold Medicaid and Medicare from our citizens because we're going to secure our own border, which you're not doing, good luck with that. Go ahead, right? Call yeah. the bluff. Be willing to take the risk. Otherwise, they're just going to keep exercising power over us and then you know assuming more power over us because they know we're weak. Yeah, I mean, and we're being bullied honestly by the federal government on that side of it. I. I you know, I, I do think there are some strong voices coming up. I mean, I, I, Dan Crenshaw, I've met and talked with a few times down there in Austin, and, and I like his style, but, you know, he's just one guy, you know. Uh, I, I think that, though, the more of those voices we hear, and, and you're starting to see the end result of effect of these years of just opening that border and what's what's occurring, even if it's up in, you know, I, I do think it's a clever thing that we're that, that Abbott has shipped some people to different locales so that they can deal with it. I, I guarantee you, New York's not happy right now. West Virginia's not happy right now. No, they're actually uh, New York has been complaining to the federal government that their issues are yeah. bad now. Like, okay, cool, come to El Paso, dude. Yeah, well, or, or, or screw El Paso, come down to Eagle Pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah but I'm with you there, and, and but I do think that. You know, at least we've got some media outlets that are willing to put it out there mm. on a daily basis. Uh, you know, you're starting to see pushback from the Democratic side of it. I just hate that it's so politically charged. It doesn't have to be. It's it's a real common sense approach here uh, to, to fix these things. Uh, you know, but it's just going to take it's going to take the right voices and enough of them. The loudest voice seems to be the squeaky wheel that gets to the grease and mm. that seemed to be finally happening but at what cost how long did it go on you like you stated your stat 
over 6 million people. Yeah, they're not going to. And those are the ones we know about. We, you know, we don't know how many were not caught um, that are in the system and they'll be found out over time. But if you don't allow ICE agents to do their job, why the hell have the damn administration? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Look, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate your time today. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to share with the uh, audience before we get out of here? No, listen, I just really appreciate the opportunity. And and, uh, uh, if there's any way I can ever be of service to you, let me know. Yes, sir, I will. Tell everybody where they can find all your entrepreneurial stuff. Oh, man, uh, (laughs) you can go to teddysbrewhouse.com if you want. Uh, You know, we just... uh, and we just we have a lot of fun, make beer, and have a good time, and yeah, that's all. And I got nothing to promote. There I'm just go. a regular Joe. Ted, well, Teddy's Brew House, you can promote. I, next time I'm up there, I'll come by. Man, dude, we'll we'll cook a steak for you and have oh, yeah. a beer, and uh, uh, I really appreciate it, man. If I can do anything for you, let me know. Yes, sir, absolutely. Thank you for coming today. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you all watching and listening. This has been Citizen. At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.